Soccer's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Aloha, hello, and welcome to Chasing Poker Greatness. I'm your host, Brad Wilson, and I'd like to start out today's show by saying thank you. Yes, you, so very much for your continued love and support of the show. It genuinely means the world to me, and I am very, very grateful for you. Today, I'm going to be speaking with someone who just might be the happiest and most optimistic guest I've had the pleasure of speaking with so far, Mr. Sky Matsuhashi. For many of you, Sky probably needs no introduction. Although he doesn't classify himself as a professional poker player, Sky has been involved with the game in one way or another for about the last 16 years as a player, coach, author, and prolific content creator. Sky's career in the world of poker content creation began when he decided to put up a blog called smartpokerstudy.com. Over the last few years, that blog has grown from a small outlet for his thoughts into a thriving centerpiece of a small empire built on teaching others the art of how to truly study poker and improve their own game. Sky regularly produces the Smart Poker Study podcast, which now boasts more than 260 episodes. He's given countless webinars and has put together standalone courses designed to help micro and small stakes players take their game to the next level. Sky regularly produces the Smart Poker Study podcast, which now boasts more than 260 episodes. He's given countless webinars and has put together standalone courses designed to help micro and small stakes players take their game to the next level. He's also developed 5-Minute Poker Study, a program designed to give you real training and results in quick, digestible 5-minute bites. He runs the PokerForge.com, an ongoing coaching program that is in a constant state of growth and development as Sky works tirelessly to ensure his students are always getting 100% of the value he's capable of producing. Sky is also the author of How to Study Poker Volumes 1 and 2, as well as Preflop Online Poker. If you've ever found yourself trying to quote-unquote study a poker concept only to find that you didn't really absorb much of it when you returned to the tables, Sky's the man you want to talk to. During our conversation, he reveals some brilliant insights into how he looks at the game, what should be going on in your minds on and off the felt as you play, and how to create the habits that will ultimately lead you to more success. And before we dive into the show, let me tip you off that you should pay particular attention during this episode. Not only did Sky drop greatness bombs all over the place, he also created a special video treat exclusively for Chasing Poker Greatness podcast listeners. So thank you once again for listening, and without any further ado, this is Chasing Poker Greatness with Sky Matsuhashi. Mr. Matsuhashi, how we doing, my man? Doing great, Brad, and you? I'm doing very, very well. Can't complain. Uh, I'm enjoying the the fall weather. Might be winter by the time this is released, but I am like no more heat, please, please no yes, more heat. Exactly. A couple of days ago, we uh, I'm in Fresno, California. We hit a high of 92. Where in the summer we're up near 100 quite often, and the high of 92. It wasn't bad because it was only like a two day stretch, and then now we're back into the high of like 78. I'm freaking loving it. Yeah, it's it's a good time. It'll last about a week and a half. 
I, for me in the Southeast, that's the fall season. And then, then it's cold. <laughs> then, yeah. then I have, have to look forward to the spring and the warmth again, because I forget how ungodly hot it can be in the summer. Oh yeah. Um, so let's start this thing out by, uh, Telling the audience, telling me, how did you get into helping people learn how to study poker? Because it's a very, no offense, it's a very unsexy topic. Uh, it's a thing that people avoid doing that they struggle with. Um, what led you down that path? Uh, well, I was playing poker uh, since 2003, right? Got started. And uh, I started, to, you know, well, okay, I'm sorry. When I started playing poker, it was just for fun, going to the card room, 2-4 limit, uh, and just going, not knowing that there was such a thing as poker strategy, not even knowing that there was math, that there's break-even math or pot odds, none of that stuff, right? So uh, I was just playing poker, having fun, and I found myself constantly losing money. And so I figured, well, if this is like anything else in life, you've got to practice and potentially study to get better at it. Like, how do these players around the table seem to make winning choices and stuff and walk away from the table with money, whereas I'm always losing money? So I bought a couple of books to start. And just started reading and stuff, but and doing a little bit of research online, but nobody talked about how to study poker at the time. And this is like, I probably started studying back in 06, up through like 20, uh, 2012 or so, um, up through Black Friday and a little bit beyond. And I was just studying on my own. Nobody was talking about it. So then I started to just kind of naturally develop my own study techniques, study methodologies on the felt and off the felt. And uh, I just decided, you know, if no one else is talking about this, I think I should be the one to get started talking about it. So I simply created the smartpokerstudy.com blog and, and just started writing about my ideas and, th- and thoughts around study once a week. And I totally agree with you. Uh, it's not sexy at all, but it's, it, it's, it's absolutely necessary. And people don't really realize how necessary it is until they go years and years by watching video after video or reading book after book and not really getting anywhere in their game. Their skills are stagnant because they don't know how to study. They don't know how to work on the things that they are reading or watching off the belt. Yeah, and it's really, it's a really good point that there is a process to effectively learn and effectively study in any endeavor. And you hear it all the time, like study two hours, play six hours. Um, but then when you, you get into sort of breaking it down at, at, at a granular level, people don't know what to do. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you want to train to run a marathon, right, there's, there's a process and you can find good information, but it's a little harder with poker because there, there are several methodologies that do work. And it's like, which one are you going to use? Which one are you going to use regularly? Which one's going to, to work for me specifically identifying and finding that can, can be a challenge. And plus it's just way more fun to play than it is to study. Yes, it is. But it's more fun to study and improve and then play and then win more than <laughs> it is to just play. I'll buy that. I'll, yeah. I'll buy that uh, it's way more fun winning more money. Yes. We're going to get into all that, all the studying, all, all the techniques, all the things that you have learned and ways that you can help the audience. Um, but for now, I want to ask you, when you think of joy in your poker career, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Uh, flopping my first full house with King seven offsuit. <laughs> that was the first thing. I, I can't remember how I got into the hand, what position I was in, but I was up against two other players flopped the sevens full of Kings on the seven, seven King flop. And I, 
I think I doubled up or because it was two, four limit at the time. I probably had $80 on the table. I probably jumped from an $80 stack to like 120, maybe even $160. And that was the first time I felt really, maybe joy is not the right word, but it was at least excitement and happiness that holy cow, I flopped such a good hand and I got loads of value after the flop with it. What were you thinking afterwards? What were the, the thoughts going on in your mind? Oh my God, I can't believe. Yeah, (laughs) it was something along the lines of, oh my God, I can't believe like that was my first big win. I've I've won smaller pots here and there, but I don't think I ever took down a 60 or $80 pot roughly right around there. And, and so I was just thinking, wow, this poker is an easy game. I can probably make a career out of this. Um, (laughs) But uh, it's, it's really, it's really easy to say and to think and to dream about. Uh, It's a completely different story to do and become that professional player. Yes. Dreams are exciting and free and sexy. And then when it comes to putting in the work to make, to realize those dreams, that's when, that's when things get real. Yes. Let's let's ask the, uh, the opposite question now. So when you think about pain in your poker career, what's the first memory that comes to mind? I really don't have a memory of any pain. Um, Any kind of bad beat, anything bad to happen to me, I forget it pretty quickly. It hurts in the moment, like losing pocket aces versus nine deuce offsuit. Well, what um, about this? What about in your your content creation career? Any <laughs> any launches, any content that didn't get well received or didn't do as much as you thought it would be? Anything yeah. like that? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, my very first course, I had this grand idea for a leak plugging course. I was going to tell you or show you through videos and, and, and everything, show you exactly how to find your leaks. Um, sort them in order of severity, right? And then, you know, how to go about and give you strategies to plug each of those leaks. And the whole idea behind the course was I'm going to choose the top 20 leaks that all of my students have, tell you exactly how to find each of those, and then tell you how to plug it. And then I launched it. And then I only had two people purchase the course out of my, you know, thousands of podcast listeners and people who go to my website and stuff. And it dawned on me that, that, People, while they understand the importance of plugging leaks, they know what leaks are. They understand how they need to work on them. Just the idea of buying a course to plug your leaks doesn't make sense to them. What, when I surveyed my audience afterwards, what they would rather have are courses like specifically designed to become a better see better, become a better three better, um, how to fold on the river that kind of stuff like they want something more concrete, something that they can wrap their mind around because if they just talk about leaks. If I'm talking about 20 leaks, they might think to themselves, well, Sky's covering 20 leaks, but who says I have any of those leaks? Maybe I'm better than all of his students. So why would they buy that course? You know, But everybody wants to become a better see better, better double barreler. They want to be able to find the fold when it's necessary, that kind of thing. Yeah, instead of selling the one course, you just sell 20, solving 20 individual problems for yeah. way more money. Yeah. Um, did you pull your audience before making the course or did that happen afterwards? It happened afterwards. And it's something that at the time I knew I should have done it. I just, I just said, screw it. I think this is a great idea. I'm going to run with it. I'm pretty sure my audience will like it. And they ended up not liking it. But the good thing is I didn't spend a ton of time um, really creating it. I tried to do like a whole pre-launch thing. So I followed some of the steps that people talk about when you're creating and designing and selling courses online. Uh, So I did the pre-launch thing. I created a few videos ahead of time but I didn't spend like 50 hours doing the whole thing. So at least I saved myself some headache there. Yeah. I've learned over time that it's much better to ask people beforehand, before you put in all the work, 
what what they need, what they want, your audience, because they will tell you. If you listen, they'll tell you where they're struggling and, and where high impact things can help. And every time I try to guess, I fall flat on my face and I am just completely wrong, which is not not very good for somebody that's trying to sell courses and books. Yep, that's true. But you can easily repurpose that content. So let's say I had started the vision was to do 20 leaks with strategies to plug them. And, and I actually completed the first three. Well, great. That's three maybe slideshow presentations, three ways to dive through your debt poker tracker for database I created videos on. I can repurpose that, give them out for free, put them into a new course. They're part one of a new four-part course or whatever the case is, right? So as long as you hold on to that stuff and you have a good system of organizing things, um, you know, within your computer or however you do your stuff, uh, you will find a use for it eventually. What was going through your head when you launched to crickets effectively? Oh, basically bummer. I guess this means people don't want it. So I got to try a new direction. Like it wasn't a depression. It was all, it was all, uh, actions speak louder than words. They told me via their actions that they don't want it. Great time to pivot and go off in a new direction. So I'm getting the sense here, and this is me going out on a, a far out on a limb that you're a pretty positive guy. <laughs> you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you're a pretty positive dude that tries to find the positive in, in most things. Do you know where did that come from? Ooh, my guess is it came, uh, I think that is a little bit inherent in most people. You're, you're just your overall outlook on life, positivity, negativity, negativity. Um, whether you are the type of person to complain or whether you're the type of the person to keep that bottled up inside and never mention your complaints and stuff. But so I think it comes on the inside, but it's also from my mom. She was one of the most positive people ever. Every time you'd see her, she'd have a smile on her face. She greets everybody with a smile. She says, hello, how are you? You ask her, how are you doing, Debbie? And my mom would say, I'm great. Like, it was never, oh, bummer, oh, whatever, you know, never a negative attitude from her. And I think, I mean, I don't know how. I think it just, just by being around her, it kind of got ingrained into me. I don't recall ever thinking to myself, I want to be positive like my mom. Seeing somebody always positive, always happy, made me happy. And so I naturally gravitated towards that. Yeah, it's experiential proof of the benefits of it. You see how she affects other people, how she affects you. And then naturally, that's how you want to be yourself. That that makes tons of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, in a poker sense, that positivity, that finding the the good outlook on things seems like a very valuable tool in your tool belt I've met many players in my career that are not super positive. Uh, a lot of negative self-talk. I'm the worst, naturally. Of course, this happens to me. Uh, never lucky. All, all of these like typical poker slogans. Um, I would say that in your poker career, as a creator, just content creator and as a player, that positivity has to... You wouldn't be where you're at right now without that, right? Like that. That's a like a one of your weapons. Absolutely. It is positivity. It keeps me forging ahead when things seem to be maybe not as good as they could be, or I'm doing things wrong. Um, Just like I said earlier, you pivot and you find out the right way to go about um, and just be positive and know that eventually, I know that eventually, no matter what I do, it's going to work out for me. It's, it's kind of a weird thing. My entire life, I really feel that uh, I've been kind of blessed with a good life. Nothing terrible has ever happened to me. Anything bad that happens, I find a way to just, 
I don't know, make it work out for me. My bike was stolen when I was 12 years old. I rode around uh, the apartment complex that was near where it was stolen. And bam, I saw the bike stolen <laughs> over there. You know, I didn't go home and just cry to my mom or anything and dad about it. Um, I actually saw the bike and then bam, I was able to get it back by just, you know, doing a little work on my own. So I don't know, any anything negative that's ever happened, I've been able to turn it positive. Any life experience similar to the bike where it didn't work out? And you just had just had to persevere? No, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. I mean, I've had, you know, family members die close to me and stuff, but everybody goes through that eventually. So nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. No, no crazy car wrecks. I never lost a leg. You know, I, I was never addicted to, I don't know, drugs or alcohol or anything. So no, I've been I've, I think I've lived a charmed, blessed life for sure. <laughs> well, I'm not going to disagree with that. If you have you have nothing that that went wrong where it just stayed wrong, then I'm gonna I'm gonna say, yeah, that's that's a recipe for a pretty charmed life. It is. Um, let, so your first launch didn't go how how you expected it to. You kept kept on keeping on. Now you're at a point to where you're, how many episodes do you have of Smart Poker Study? Uh, I'm going to release number 260, but I've done a lot of little one-offs and stuff. So I have, yeah, I, I would just say 260, but if you count all the one-offs and everything, my Patreon podcast, I used to have, I mean, I've done 400 episodes easy. Wow. That's a yeah. lot of episodes. Yeah. But 260 right now, that one's coming out. Um, as of this recording, it's coming out, uh, tomorrow. And three books and a number of successful launches since that first one as well. Right. Yes, yes, I have. So things have been working out since I started this whole poker thing in uh, 2003 playing, but 2013, I think it was when I started the blog. And I have to say, too, that it's interesting to me that what stake were you playing when you started your podcast? Oh, um, I was playing uh, $5 sit and goes. $5 sit and goes. I think it was, yeah, $5 sit and goes. And I want to make this point that we talked a lot on this show about creating supplementary incomes to for your poker career for when things go bad on the felt that you have some money coming in from other revenue sources. And I think a lot of folks feel like they need to be a crusher at the biggest games before, you know, that that's the gateway to creating content and helping people out and sharing their journey. Um, but you are proof that even playing $5 sit and goes, you have a lot of value to add to folks and you can also create supplementary income playing whatever stakes it is that you're playing. Yep, absolutely. That was the whole goal, goal behind the eventual goal behind starting the blog. Like I had a full-time job at the time, but I just, I, I knew that, see, all of life not all of life. The best way to get through life financially is to have a lot of different financial feeds coming in, right? So I have my podcast, which brings in a little bit of money. I have my books. At the time I had a job. I have videos, which gives me like YouTube revenue. I have my membership site and webinars that I sell. Like there's a lot of little things that are bringing money in. And that's going to allow me as opposed to just having one job, like back in the day, you know, people would work at the GM plant for 40 years, retire one source of income, bam, they're done. They're just done with life. But I think we can't really count anymore on your job working out forever. Long-term people used to have one or two jobs in their lifetime. Now they have like, I don't know, 20, 25. Like easily before I started this whole poker thing, I had, if you count small part-time jobs, I had at least 20 different little gigs. 
And if I never did this, I'm sure I would have bounced from that job at the time when I started this to another one. I'd probably be at a, at another full-time job right now if I and, didn't have the poker thing. And this is your sole source of income now, right? Yes, it is. Yep. And it's very risky. Even in a poker sense, it's very risky. Ask anybody that lived through Black Friday, April 15, 2011, how important it is to have multiple revenue streams when inevitably shit hits the fan. You have to be prepared. I remember going through that experience and thinking to myself, okay, okay, they got me. Um, I got got. This sucks. Mm -hmm. This is horrible. If I let this happen to me again, it's all on me. At this, like I learned my lesson, something happened that was completely blindsided me and unforeseen. I didn't realize I could get fired from playing cards online, and I did. And I, I just had that thought, like, if, if this happens again, it's all on me. I'm the only, I'm the one who's responsible. And I, maybe folks that are coming up in the game now, I mean, Black Friday, we're quite removed from it, eight years, that didn't experience that, that didn't experience their their portal to playing cards disappear overnight. Maybe they don't understand that pain as well as the people that experienced it. So just sharing that, it was painful. It was hard. It was really, really, really rough. Uh, looking back, I'm, I'm grateful for it, but, but I'm, it just created a lot of different things. It forced me out of what I was doing and taught me some hard lessons that over the years I found valuable. But um, always be prepared. Because you never know what's going to happen. Absolutely. You're 100% right about that. Now, for me, I had a full-time job at the time of Black Friday. I was just playing PokerStars online, $5 sit and goes, or whatever it was at the time. Uh, so, yeah, I lost, I don't know what it was, 400 bucks or whatever my bankroll was. But eventually, you know, I got that back from PokerStars. But somebody like you who made a career out of it, totally different story for you. So I understand some of those. I remember at the time I was big into like uh, other podcasts like the 2 plus 2 PokerCast or just reading poker news all the time, right? And all the stories were about these poker pros now. Black Friday hit. What are we going to do? Let's go to Mexico. Let's go up to Canada. All that kind of stuff. Did you ever leave the States to pursue poker elsewhere? Oh my God, what a question. Um, I played live. I played a lot of live. I did go to Canada. I did buy the plane ticket and get in Canada and try to get the VPN set up so that I could play up there. And I've never been out of the country. Um, I had never been out of the country at that time. I flew up there for like a one day trip with no plan at the border to tell them anything. And it was horrifying experience <laughs> like they were like why are you in toronto in january it's the coldest day of the year why are you here for one day and i'm like uh i'm thinking about moving here <laughs> i'm thinking about getting a job and like they just looked at me like i was the biggest idiot um and so i had to sweat all the way through that and i was so anxious when i got through the border that like i couldn't even follow through. like i opened a bank account I may still have a Canadian bank account somewhere with like a hundred bucks in it. Um, never did anything with it. Never VPN, never played out of the States and just went the home game, live in uh, California route. Gotcha. So what was the, so when you got up there for your one day, was the plan to actually, I don't know, get a, get a hotel and then set up your VPN and your account in a hotel, or are you just going to go to an internet cafe or something? No, I can't remember the exact strategy of it because I, I still don't understand exactly what it was, but basically you get a bank account up there with uh, like a UPS store where you have an address 
Oh, and gotcha. that, that's what you use for like poker stars mm. um, as your address. And then you, ha- you have somebody set up a VPN in Canada specifically for you. And then you play through that. And then the money goes to your Canadian bank account. And then from there, I never made it this far, but I'm assuming somehow you get the money back to you in the States. I'm not exactly sure how that, that process worked. I had friends that did it and were successful. Um, but so I, at the time you were just following the very first steps that they said, go to Canada, get a bank account. And that was yes, it. with no warning, no warning about the <laughs> yeah. border questioning aspect of it at all. And I was mm. mortified. Like I, I'm the, I, I'm not a person that does well with deceit, even though I'm a poker player, like at the poker table, poker face, uh, not nervous, very strong in the real world though. I fall completely to pieces. I'm like, gotcha. I, I don't, I should have had a plan. I didn't know this was a thing. And then, yeah, like I said, I was so anxious at when I was over the border that I didn't even follow through. Um, and that, that also goes back to dealing with the banks, getting checks from Bovada, you know, $3,000 check from Singapore, and the bank asking me, where did this come from? <laughs> Who are you doing business with? And I'm like, you know, just get anxious. And I felt like uh, like a criminal getting those checks and getting questioned and all this stuff. So I'm very grateful for Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin yes, saves. Bitcoin does make it so much easier. Yeah, it saves me from all of those uncomfortable situations. Yeah, uh, once you just get beyond that hurdle of opening up your first account and understanding what Bitcoin is and figuring out how to buy it for yourself, after that, it's a piece of cake. It's so much easier than working in U.S. dollars. Yeah, and then live poker, of course. That's that's super mm-hmm. easy. You just pay mm-hmm. money, and then you get money, and then you go about your life. Yep. Um, so this is a loaded question knowing who you are, what you do, but what is your process for regularly improving your game look like? And this is not for other people. This is you, Sky Matsuhashi. What do you do specifically? Absolutely. So what I'm constantly doing every single week, I pick a new kind of strategy uh, that I want to work on. Like for example, this week is double barrel bluffing because I just found that lately I've either been failing to pull the trigger on the double barrel bluff when I know it should work, or I just do it wrong and I double barrel bluff somebody who I, that should have fold on the flop. They didn't fold. I didn't get the message. I double barreled and lost chips. So I choose that strategy, uh, whatever that strategy is. This How do you go about barreling. choosing that strategy? Oh, it just, it goes by intuition. Just whatever I feel I need to work on on my game. So I'm constantly playing every day for at least 30 minutes online. And as I'm playing, you know, when you encounter a difficult situation, eventually you you realize that, oh man, I hate this spot every single time I'm in it. There's an indication that you need to work on it. So it's just intuition and for feel. I don't have like a list of, of uh, I used to keep lists of all my different leaks and try to, you know, plug them one at a time, but I just kind of stopped that process. Now I just go by intuition. and. What I'll do is, so for double barrel seabedding, for example, I'll go to Google and I'll just Google search double barrel seabedding or seabed bluffing the term, turn, whatever the, the, the terminology is. And then I'll, I'll watch a video. And then as I watch the video, whoever video it might be, I take notes on the strategy that they talk about. And then I choose one or two things that I want to implement on the felt. Like I'm actually creating action steps for myself from whatever it is I consume. And then I practice that on the felt and I go through my database and I look through my double barreling opportunities, hands I actually did, hands I didn't make the double barrel. And I think about why I did, why I didn't, and how I could have played better. That's and basically how I do my own. Yeah. 
do you get multiple opinions? Do you watch multiple videos and, and take notes? No, I'll normally watch just one or two videos. I keep it nice and simple. Um, if somebody says something in a video that I already kind of like disagree with, and I don't really like their take on it, I'll still listen to it. I'll take note and then I'll research through my database and I might attempt it. But oftentimes because I've been playing and studying poker for so long and teaching it myself and coaching students, I have a basic grasp of just about every kind of strategy to employ. But sometimes on the felt, there's so much stuff going through your mind. You just kind of forget things and you don't actively uh, use the strategies that you know are good. And so you need to refresh yourself. I need to refresh myself constantly. Maybe a poker pro like you or other people who are really good playing, playing for years, they don't need it. But I constantly have to revisit strategies. And so if I watch a double barreling video from Split Suit this week, great. If in a year from now, I need to revisit double barreling and then I watch an Alex Fitzgerald video, great. I don't go out there and try to consume 10 different videos with 10 different viewpoints because I found that that's just overwhelm. It's just too much crap coming at me. I can watch one video, take note, choose one or two action steps, and I'm off to the races. Uh, yeah, I would say that you know, studying, even refreshing knowledge in specific spots is beneficial for anyone, me included, just anybody that plays cards, even if they play at a super high level. I would say that the targeting aspect of where the content is coming from is also going to be pivotal in that situation for me specifically. I, I Because if I'm playing high stakes, I want to see what other folks who are playing around the same stakes like me are doing, how they think about it, uh, if they're very successful. Because I, I find that modeling what we do based on successful people already is a pretty clear path to to getting to where they're at it's versus trying to figure it out on your own and just using trial and error. It's just, it's just way faster. Um, maybe it's not exactly the same. Maybe I don't implement the same exact strategies that they use. I disagree with some, but you're going to learn. You're going to learn different perspectives, and that's always valuable. Different perspectives are always valuable, even if you disagree with the, the perspective, and they're playing the similar stake as you because this gives an insight into how they're thinking. And that's really at the crux of poker is understanding how people are thinking about spots so that you can develop counter strategies to counteract them. Yep, absolutely. And I agree with you on finding uh, content from others who play at your same stakes. And so I, I do tend to do that. Like, I don't really watch any kind of high stakes tutorials or videos, or I don't read books from high stakes players either, because while their strategies are in general, like I can extrapolate any strategy anybody says and apply it to my games based on the kinds of opponents I play. But that's because I put so much thought and time into my own game, into studying and everything. But I agree with you 100%. If you're just somebody out there trying to work on your game, you definitely should be listening to players who play at the same or maybe slightly higher stakes than you play at currently. And it's there's just so much information. You know, my guys in my Discord group, my community, they ask me, Brad, why why do you say on stream that this is a good spot to three bet with this specific hand? I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have that answer because there's so much data that I'm analyzing in real time based on the the um, you know games are games are like organisms, right? They change based on who the players are. One one guy gets up and one guy gets down, and now it's a completely different puzzle and strategy changes. So I can't give an answer as to why I think three betting king jack off is good in this specific spot or bad in another specific spot because 
it's an, an aggregation of all the data that I'm looking at in that moment. And I think that's just so important to understand if you're watching somebody who's playing at a very high level and they do something and you're like, oh, that's how you play this spot. I'm going to start three batting here too. Well, you, you're only, you only have half the story, right? And you're likely going to get crushed when you just try to implement like a monkey see, monkey do type of strategy into your game. Absolutely. That's why I do not ever study Twitch streams. I don't study as people are actually playing and speaking through their decisions because they're not articulating everything that's going through their mind. Uh, I prefer to study from actual like training videos, somebody possibly using uh, like a PowerPoint presentation or just running through hands. Like if you watch any of Black Rain 79's videos, he'll have a hand replayer up from Poker Tracker 4. He's cycling through the hand, but he's speaking about all the strategy. So it's not in the moment where I see him three bet with King Jack offsuit. And he's, he's not simply just saying this is a good spot. But if he's doing it in a full hand history review, spending 10 minutes on it, he'll elucidate and expound upon all the reasons why it's a good spot. This, uh, you know, the open razor has a really wide range. I have position. I've seen him fold in this exact spot with this exact sizing 10 times in the past. You know what I mean? So yeah, not Twitch streams. And I've never actually spoken on my podcast or anything about learning from Twitch streams because I don't think they're as valuable as a lot of people think they are. I think they're just, they're more entertainment. I think that anything can be valuable when you're watching somebody play. It's just how you go about extracting that value. Mm -hmm. And as you get better and better at playing cards and improving your game, I don't need like Doug Polk to fully explain what he's doing because I, I understand most of it. Um, You just look at the HUD, you look at the data and the information that they have, and then you, you kind of reverse engineer where they're getting, where they're, where they're getting their decision from. Like where, why this makes sense, but they're not going to explicitly say it because a lot, there's just not enough time in the world. Anybody that's watched the Phil Galfond video knows that, you know, Phil Galfond can talk for 30 minutes about a preflop decision (laughs) and it's like breaking down every little subtle nuance. Right. And it's all, and I love Phil's stuff and I think it's amazing and super in depth, but like in a live setting, you, you, you can't break down all of these thoughts, right? It's like the Malcolm Gladwell blink type of situation where when you're an expert at something, you can have this gut intuition as to what decision is likely the best decision. And it's built up over time through learning. It's the subconscious mind um, that you just act on. And this is, of course, this is how guys play, you know, four or six tables at a time at a high level because they're working on intuition. They're working on this it's an accumulation of years of experience, years of learning that they're applying it in real time. So don't pay attention to the words. I think that's, that's my 20 minute answer. (laughs) There is like the words that people are saying, don't tell the whole story. Don't fully pay attention, turn the, you know, mute the video and then see what they see and reverse engineer how they're getting to their decision. And that, that can help tremendously. Yeah, it sounds like you might have uh, another avenue of teaching people, like being a, a big time, or uh, I don't know if the big time is the right word, but an avid Twitch streamer yourself, you can probably teach a lot of your audience how to learn from Twitch streams. I don't know if you've ever spoken about it before. Never. <laughs> this is, I, I'm basically flying by the seat of my pants here. Oh, gotcha. um, Twitch is 
again, but you also have to be entertaining on Twitch, right? That's, that's people come for the entertainment. Um, mm-hmm. That's the first number one thing on the checklist. And number two is the poker and watching the poker play. So yeah, there, there, I do believe there's value in all the things. You just have to go about it in the right way. Yes. Um, and that's what makes what you're doing so valuable for the people that consume your content. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yep. I would like to think it's valuable to them. <laughs> well, they're showing you with money, right? Mm-hmm. If it's your full-time gig and they're showing you with money, then I think that's a pretty good indication that they are finding value in it. Exactly. What's the most unexpected thing that's happened to you in your poker career? This whole thing, turning a hobby and just a fun game that I started playing 2-4 Limit and then I would play home games with my family and stuff where we play little $5 sit and goes and that just morphing into a career. That's the most, I, I would have never seen it coming at the time. I, I just figured I would be working at, uh, what was I in 2003? Uh, I was just a server in a restaurant. You know, I had really no big goals or anything. I uh, just started playing poker. I had no idea that it would turn into this. So that is the most surprising thing. And it's also surprising the fact that I'm willing to put myself out there via audio, via video put my thoughts out there because I've always been the kind of person that uh, I don't want attention. I drive the least flashy of cars. I drive the least flashy of any, or I'm, I dress the least flashy of anybody, you know, I don't want people to know me other than my friends and my family. That's it. But I'm putting myself out there daily through the podcast and through the videos. And that's surprising that I'm, that I'm actually uh, not capable is not the right word, but that I'm actually just okay that I'm willing to do it which is something I never would have thought like I would never want to be an actor never want to be an anchor on a news show I don't want people to look at me nightly on their televisions you know but I'm doing this so and how did it feel like so there's a lot of resistance when it comes to putting yourself out there putting a piece of content right like this podcast specifically um when it gets released I'm going to feel anxious as hell before I press publish and start sharing it because I'm always afraid, is this awful? Are people going to say, wow, Brad, you're the biggest idiot in the whole wide world. Why did you think you could do this? I've learned over time that I hope that's not true. (laughs) Um, It's just my mind playing tricks on me. And I think our brains hold us back in a lot of areas uh, because they get safe. You know, they feel, we have this instinct as human beings that we're safe as we are. And if we do something outside the norm, out of our comfort zone, maybe we're not safe anymore. So that's sort of like the reptile brain just taking control in those spots. Did, did you feel that the first time that you released the podcast? The first time that, you know, when you came to me at Enhance Your Edge, and this has been probably four years ago, and you, you, know, you wanted to write a guest post to send to, on my newsletter, did you feel this anxiousness? Did you feel like, wow, like, did you have any of these, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Imposter syndrome? That's the one. Yeah. Did you feel, okay. feel any of that? So in relation to actual, that article that you talked about how to learn from poker books, I, I had no, I don't, I, no bad, I, no imposter syndrome for that. But the first time I created the website and then released my first blog post, I thought to myself, who am I to be telling people how to study, how to view ace king offsuit, whatever that first article was. And for the first few articles, I felt that way. And then when I've created my first video on YouTube, I'm all, who am I to put myself on YouTube? I, I don't want to be a YouTube person who, who knows if my, um, uh, my thoughts are valid and my opinions and strategies are going to work. Who knows? But 
after you, after you do it for a while, you do it for a few times, that imposter syndrome kind of goes away. But it's always still lingering in the background a little bit. But like you had said, uh, you had mentioned something like when I put out this podcast, are people going to say, Brad, you're an idiot. And for, for me, Sky, you're an idiot. This stuff is stupid. I never, I really don't care about what people say. I've always been, and I don't even care about what I say, honestly. I don't, <laughs> like, in, in terms of, you've probably heard this uh, before. Uh, opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one and they all stink, right? I even feel that way about my own opinions. Like, my own opinions on things, I am so quick to change my mind on things because I'm not dead set. I know that I don't know anywhere near what I could know when it comes to poker, when it comes to life, being a father, being a husband, I have ideas on what could be right and could be good and good strategies and stuff. But as soon as I learn something new, I'm willing to put all that behind, screw my old opinions. Now I have this new um, uh, paradigm to move forward with, right? So when people, if people leave negative comments in YouTube videos, they hurt for like 30 seconds. And then I purposely push them away, let them slide off and think, ah, eh, I don't care. That's just your opinion, buddy. It doesn't does, matter to me. Where does that mental toughness come from? Uh, I think it's just part of the positivity that we had spoken about earlier, growing up with that, seeing my mom do it. And then just the idea that, like, who are you to me? You're just leaving a comment on a video or you're sending me an email, but you're nobody to me. You're, I don't know where you come from in life. You could be super angry. You could be the greatest poker player ever, and maybe your opinion's valid. Or you could be a total douche and not know anything about anything. So I don't know who you are to me. I don't value those opinions. Now, I do listen to them. And if they do say something that makes a lot of sense, like I was putting out these certain types of videos where I set a timer for myself to really push through my uh, hand history reviews really quickly. But then this person sent this opinion to me and said, I really don't like that. I want to hear all your thoughts on these different spots. I don't want you to try to simulate it or simulate a game playing session. I just want to hear what actually goes through your mind. And, you know, I could have just said, nah, screw that. That's not a good idea. But I, I just thought about it and I said, you know, that does make a lot of sense. If I take my time with these spots and explain more details, they'll probably get more out of these videos. So I've kind of stopped doing that, um, even though that was, it wasn't really criticism. It was constructive criticism and I took it. So, so it's feedback. Yeah, feedback. Yep, exactly. Feedback from your audience. Like, like we touched on earlier, when you guess at stuff, a lot of times you get it wrong and the audience reacts differently than the way you anticipate and I can see certainly why you would want to structure it, uh, your hand history reviews within a specific time frame. And I can also see that people are listening for that specifically. And you're, you're removing value from them by putting it in a box um, and not just letting it go organically how long it should go. But um, yeah, I mean, there's another saying. It's you try to please everybody, you end up pleasing nobody. And you find your audience through the negative criticism. If people, if somebody hates it, hates whatever it is that you you create, that just means they're not a part of your audience. They're not they're not going to be your your fan. Um, they're not in your tribe, and you you move on in life. And I'm not going to lie, the negative negativity does affect me. It does cut me because of how my brain is wired with a negativity bias. I, I'm better at it. My I've gotten thicker skin over the years. But yeah, it still stings a little. There's no no getting away from that. But um, at the end of the day, you know, it's like poker. You struggle. You make, you do make all the right decisions. You do the best job you can, and sometimes you still get your ass handed to you. And I'm not going to quit playing poker. So I'm not going to quit making things either. Yep. 
Exactly. That's a good attitude to have. Now, when it comes to your, you just said you have kind of a negativity bias. Do you hold on to bad beats and anger for a long time? And do you tilt easily? Or because you're such a longstanding poker player and a pro, are you able to now get beyond that? I can't even tell you a bad beat story oh, off the top of my head. And yeah. when I end my session, I, I that day I could probably tell you a few bad beats, but the next day I, I can't remember them. Uh, I'm I only, the exact same way. All that I remember is yesterday I lost two buy-ins. That's all. Like I just remember that the 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 results aspect, but I could not tell you if it was because I lost king ten versus pocket aces or pocket aces versus nine deuce offsuit. And when I have an especially bad day, and this is a funny way to frame it. When I have an especially bad day, about two or three days afterwards, I think to myself, that'll be a good day on tax day. <laughs> there you go. That'll be the yeah. one I'm looking for, this negative negative $11,000 day. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. less, ta- less money I have it. to pay pay in taxes. But no, I, I don't get upset. Poker's poker. It's something different. It's um, I'm inoculated when it comes to bad beats and that sort of thing. It's just, it's the price of running business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you know who Pete Holmes is? I don't, uh, comedian, actor, Pete Holmes. Um, he, he does a podcast and, uh, in one of his podcasts once he talked about how he views bad days in his life. Uh, maybe somebody dies, maybe gets in a car wreck or whatever it is. He views those bad days as a, as an interesting episode in his TV series. So it helps him kind of cope with that kind of stuff. Like if, if my life were a TV series, this would be an interesting episode for people to watch and people to learn something from. It allows him or it helps him to kind of like put those bad things behind him and actually maybe try to look on the bright side of what that negative episode in his life could give him. Right. It's so easy to zoom in and only see like the last 500 hands that you've played and not zoom out and look at the last 100,000 yep. to, to not keep keep your eyes on the the bigger picture and keeping your zooming out. I think it's human nature again, to care about immediately what has happened the session today without taking that into account. But the better you can get at zooming out, just the happier you're going to be, the more successful at poker you're going to be. I agree with you 100%. What is up? You future star of poker, you coach Brad here. And I just wanted to take a moment to let you know about PKC poker. If you're sitting there wondering to yourself, why? Why is Coach Brad promoting this PKC Poker app thing? Allow me a moment to explain my why. Battling in cash games has been my livelihood for the past 15 years. It's how I survive and put food on the table for my family, which makes it imperative that I either test out or seek qualified opinions on all of the poker platforms on the market. One juicy find can mean the difference between a meh year and an amazing family vacation in Hawaii kind of year. With that said, I have tried almost all of the major poker apps on the market to date, and despite the hype about amazingly juicy games, have come away from the experience unsatisfied. I was just never able to find success against seemingly weak competition, and in one specific case was getting outright destroyed by passive villains playing more than 50% of their hands. What on earth was going on, right? After many evenings sitting in the bathtub, wondering if I had lost it, I finally dug into the data and learned something that shouldn't have been too surprising to you. These dudes were colluding and super using their pants off. So I swore off those free money, decentralized devil apps and decided to go back to my more familiar streets of ignition. 
It was then that I was contacted by a good friend of mine who turned out to be the Vice President of Worldwide Operations at PKC. Him and I had a long, in-depth conversation about security, the ecosystem, and the future direction of PKC, and he managed to convince me to give it a shot. That shot turned into an incredible six months with an hourly rate that's about five times what it would have been playing on any other US platform. As it turns out, I didn't forget how to play. I just needed to be on a level playing field to return to my crushing ways. I have no doubt that you, my community, my audience is going to play online poker somewhere. And I want to be damn sure that you don't go through the pain and frustration I felt by messing around with any poker app besides PKC. This is why promoting PKC is a no-brainer for me. I love you, I love my community, and I want to put you in the best position to succeed at this game that we both love so much. So if you'd like to join me in the streets of PKC, simply head to EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod and get your invite code to play. You must have an invite code to play and you must be 21 years of age or older. One more time, that's EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod to get your invite code. Best of luck, and now, on with the show. What's something you feel folks who are chasing their poker dreams don't spend enough time thinking about? Uh, they don't spend enough time thinking about their decisions. They think, oh, this is, I, I raised pre-flop, now I have the opportunity to C-bet, I C-bet. Oh, I have ace-king suited, yeah, I got a three-bet right here. They don't think about, they just don't put enough time into their decisions. Um, and, and they don't take into account all the different variables, all the important information at the table at the given time. They just basically react based on the strength of their hand instead of thinking through the opponent who they're facing, the opponents yet to act, the bet sizing, the stack sizes. They're just, there's just not enough thinking. There's more reacting. And this is, might be an impossible question, but how, how do folks go about building up that awareness of realizing that they're kind of autopiloting and they need to question their their potential false assumptions. Well, you just said the word question. Uh, questions and answers is how you do it. So you start off in your hand history reviews. Most people, um, you know, especially online players, of course, they have a database of hands. They look through them. They look at their five most losingest hands over the past three days or whatever. As you um, as you review those hands for each decision point that you have, whether you're calling, folding, raising, betting, whatever it is, you ask yourself, why am I making this play? So you train yourself off the felt to constantly ask and answer questions. By training yourself to do that off the felt, you're ingraining it as a habit within your skill set. And then so hopefully the goal, because it's a habit off the felt, you're always asking yourself, why did I see bet here? Is he going to fold often enough? What is the price that I'm being offered on my draw? Whatever the question that you ask yourself, the fact that you're doing it creates a habit. Hopefully you use it on the felt to give you better in-game in decisions. And if somebody's playing in a live setting, we, you know, a database is easy to keep track of. A live setting can be more difficult. How do you go about, how do you think folks should go about recording their hand histories for future analysis? Playing uh, they live? just need, oh yeah, they just need to use Evernote and you need to record... So if somebody has never recorded a hand before in Evernote, you just need to get started. Like you will learn the details that you need as you go about recording hands and then trying to review them the next day. So let's say you played a hand last night where you three bet with pocket aces. Um, the flop comes down, whatever is flop turn a river. You see bet all streets. He ended up having two pair on the river. 
maybe you forgot to record certain details like the pot size on each street or the stack size he started with, or you forgot to record the details of your bet sizes sizes on each street. Well, when you're reviewing that hand, you're going to say, damn it, I wish I knew what size I bet. Oh, I wish I knew what the pot was at the time. I wish I knew if there was three clubs on the board, or if it was just two clubs. Well, you're going to realize that you wish you had that information. So the next time you go play your live game, you are going to train yourself to record it. So recording the hands is the first step. Reviewing them is the second step. And then doing a better job next time. Just wash, rinse, and repeat that process so that you improve over and over. And that's ultra valuable for folks to hear. And I'll add one thing to it. Even though I don't coach folks one-to-one, anymore. When I'm coaching live students, players that play live in our first few sessions, this is one of the first things that I point out because I have them record their hand histories as in depth as possible. And then when we start reviewing them, number one on the list is to find the information that they omitted. What, what could they have seen that could have affected their decision one way or another? And get them in the habit, in the process of finding more information that maybe sometimes there's information there that you don't even know is there, that you don't even know to look for because you're not used to it. And so having an outside perspective in the form of like a poker coach that you pay to help you in one-to-one sessions, they can give you that perspective and say, well, there's these... this, this, and this data point, there's this, this, and this information that could have been valuable one way or the other in this decision. And having that perspective is just so, so, so valuable. Absolutely. Sometimes we're just stuck in our ways and we just play as we play. We don't think about actually uh, the information available to us. That's one of the things with online players, like you're playing two or three tables or even four or six tables and you start to get bored because, oh, I've been dealt these crap hands. I just keep folding. Well, there is so much information. Even if you're just two tabling, you can get a gauge of every single player at the table. You can look at all their statistics, look at your notes on the players, dive into their pop-up stats, right? Oh, his seabed is 56%. You open the pop-up, holy cow, it's 80% in position, 40% out of position. That's pretty indicative right there. Like there's so much information at the table, but you're only going to start looking at it, like, like you said, when a coach teaches you about it, or you learn in a video, like if you see in any of my coaching videos, I'm constantly popping open pop-ups and talking about stats and stuff. The more you expose yourself to to different ways to study and view hands and the important information to utilize, you're going to start looking for that naturally on the felt as well. Even for, even for you live players, like maybe you made a bet thinking your opponent would fold. You didn't look at his stack. You didn't realize there's $100 in the pot. He only has 60 in his stack. There's no way he's folding any pair or draw here on the flop. You know, that's just a simple example right there. And then hopefully you pick up on that. Oh, I didn't look at his stack. There's no way he's folding. Next time I'm going to look at my opponent's stack every time, right? So it comes from experience and catching those mistakes. And like, you're right. You said coaches can totally help you catch those mistakes and pointing and point out what you're missing. And it's not even just the HUD stats and the historical data. It's in-game things when you're not in a hand after you folded. Does a specific player, I can't tell you how much money I've won because some guys three bet instantly with their value because it's a no brainer decision. And then they hesitate three or four seconds with their more marginal hands. And it's because they're asking themselves, should I three bet here? Is this a good spot to steal? So there's a hesitation. If they have kings, 
this is obvious. It's an obvious three bet. You always three bet kings, right? So like just watching people's hesitations and picking up on a timing tell can mean the difference between getting three bet and folding or four betting them with the bottom of your range when you know that they have a marginal spot and really hammering them. There, there's just there's uh, so many things you can learn by paying attention. Is a guy on tilt, for instance? Like this is something the HUD's not going to tell you. Your historical information is not going to tell you that this dude just got stacked two hands in a row and now he's steaming and more likely to be playing more aggressive. But if you're focused on the other tables, you don't see that it happens. You miss that. And now all of a sudden this dude opens and you think, oh, this is a marginal hand. I'm going to three bet him and take my shot. And you don't realize this dude is seeing red. He's going to, he's in battle mode. This is not a spot to three bet bluff him. You know, you should be three betting for value and going bigger to maximally exploit his tendencies. Yep, 100% right about that. There's those table dynamics and those interpersonal dynamics. Like you and that other player, uh, maybe you stacked him in your past uh, three outings with him, you know, but you don't really remember that because you're not paying attention who you're, you know, who you're sacking, who you're taking chips, chips from. He might be gunning for you on this fourth day on the felt with him. So there is all that kind of information as well. And that goes for live games too. Yeah, if you're taking chicks from him, he's for sure going yeah, to be gunning, gunning for you. <laughs> Another thing too, and this is, a little tangent that I've talked about a lot in my training videos, it's that there's this natural like push-pull inclination with human beings where you expect that if you if somebody three bets you, right, and then you fold, and then next orbit, same position, same situation, you open and they three bet you again. You get a little annoyed. They're pushing you and your general reaction, sometimes people fold. A lot of times people fold and they think, hmm, okay, I'm getting kind of tired of this. And then the third time it happens, you're ready for war. You're ready to go to battle because you're convinced this dude has it out for you. But let's think about this logically. He knows the same thing you know. His range is getting tighter every time he three bets you because he doesn't want – because he knows you're getting sick of it. So actually at the time where you decide to go to war – The third time he three bets you is when his range is the tightest and it's when you're going to get crushed. Like I lick my chops. When I three bet a guy uh, two times and then I get aces or kings and he raises, what a great situation. Okay, like this dude's sick of it and he's just going to go absolutely bananas, right? So just thinking about these patterns and, and humans in general, how they react is another way to get information. Um, that maybe you're not thinking about, maybe you're not recording, but it's still there and it's still extremely valuable. Mm -hmm. Totally. I agree 100% with you. Hey, you know, there was something I wanted to, before we actually started recording this, we talked a little bit, uh, you know, pre-tape or whatever you'd call it a little bit. And then uh, you you, you had spoken about how quite often poker pros feel like they're just taking from the world. They're not giving anything to the world. You know, they're kind of like, not depressed, but they feel that their poker career is, I guess, a, a negative effect on the world, I guess, ultimately, Pre- right? Predatory, I think. is Okay, a predatory thing, yeah. Um, I choose to not look at it that way. You're not being a predator at all. You're using your skills to make money. Sure, you're making it from other people. But here's the thing. You, as a professional player, the fact that you are playing professionally, if you're a live player, all the dealers at the card room, the, the floor manager, the waitresses, they are making an income because of people like you. You are helping to support their income. When you make $100,000 last year playing poker, 
great. You bought a new car. Killer. The dealership made money. That car dealer made commission on this. You know, you are still contributing to the economy. You're not just sucking out money and transferring it to whatever in Barbados, you know, in order to leave <laughs> and, and live there one day, right? So you can choose to look at it like you are just a predatory person in this world taking money from others. But no, you're not. They are choosing to risk their hard-earned cash against your hard-earned cash. And if you had lost money, you know, so be it. They earned the money with their good play or maybe luck and stuff, and you earned their money as well. But ultimately, like, it's all one big poker economy. We're all in this, all the dealers and the floor people and people who, like PKC, the app creators and everything, like, they are making money. They're supporting their own families because you are a poker player on their site. So the way I look at it, there's nothing negative. There's nothing predatory about it at all. I love you, Sky. You see all the you see all the goodness. You see all the good angles of everything. I try. And, and my my guest uh, Jack Lasky, who does the Just Hands podcast, he also talked about how maybe somebody doesn't have a good home life, and poker is a hobby, and that's what helps them escape and feel included, feel part of something that they enjoy. And maybe they're not good, and they lose money at it every month. But there's still value there because of the camaraderie, because they don't feel so lonely and there's acceptance and they're in a tribe. So there are multiple ways that people get value from cards, even if they aren't necessarily winning players. True that, true that. And then for me as a coach as well, I kind of treat what I am doing like just like any teacher or a football coach or a basketball coach. I am helping you improve your skills to do better at this activity that you love doing. So even as a coach, I don't see anything wrong. There's nothing predatory about what I do either. You know, we all, uh, I, I just view the, the whole pursuit of poker or if you're a professional backgammon player or you're a pool hall player, whatever it is, like you're, you're basically using your skills to earn an income and there's nothing wrong at all with that. As long as you're not cheating other people, that's a different story. You know? <laughs> Nobody has ever cheated at live poker ever. Nope, I don't, nope. don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yep. Um, and, and, and you're right. And I also see the angle too. People are going to be like, Brad, so you get fulfillment from coaching people. So basically you're just creating these little ninjas <laughs> that go out there in the world and they're crushing people. So you're effectively becoming, you know, a general of an army of folks. So like I, I see that angle as well, but I just want to always, always state that when you're playing cards, you know, you can play for 10 hours you can win, you can lose, but you're still spending 10 hours around your fellow human beings and you can make people feel good. You can choose to act positively, be entertaining, be a pleasure to play with. And, and, and even if somebody loses, they feel good about the time that they spent around you. And that's how I've always approached live poker specifically. Like you need to give value to the people you're playing against, not just as like a like a forced thing, right? Because you're like, I must give value to people because I'm taking money from the game. But like from a relationship perspective, it's, it's beneficial to you. It's beneficial to them. It's beneficial to the game. Nobody benefits when you throw a fit and call somebody a fish and, and act out of line. Like you're some entitled human being who's smarter than other folks because you're better at poker than, than other folks. Um, so I, I do want to state that just over and over and over again. Be cool, man. Don't be a dick at the poker table. Be cool. Yep. True that. True that. Nobody likes the dick. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many comments that I could go with there. Yep. <laughs> Moving on. 
Um, <laughs> what's something that folks would be surprised to learn that you're horrible at? Oh, well, hmm, hmm. <laughs> good question. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm horrible at a lot of things, but nothing surprising. Like I'm a terrible basketball player, <laughs> good football, good baseball, but basketball when I'm actually having to dribble the ball and I'm a terrible shot too, but nothing I could think of surprising that I'm bad at actually. Sorry to give you kind of a boring answer there. No, it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. You'll think of it. There's something yeah. there. There's something there, is. there might be. People yeah. will be surprised. <laughs> yeah. um, it'll just come to you like, in the next day we'll put well, it in- i guess i guess if we just think about poker i'm terrible about folding pocket aces and it's something i'm constantly working on finding the fold when it is necessary maybe i'm better than i uh, not maybe i'm definitely better than i used to be just judging by my play and how i'm viewing different spots and i'm constantly asking myself okay i got pocket aces but all of a sudden there's four to the straight and three to the flush on the board and he's betting into me on the river well geez what is he doing this with I'm sorry, what is he doing this with that I beat? Nothing. All I have is a pair of aces. I can find the fold. Um, but sometimes I just can't and I'm stuck on my hand. Maybe I hate this player. Maybe he was the one. He was the <laughs> Brad Wilson that was three betting me three hands in a row. And now I finally have pocket queens and it's a 10 high board. How can I fold? You know, that, that kind of thing can still happen to me. I can still get angry and go on tilt. So getting some finger tilt and not following through. Letting yeah. your emotions lead the way. Yeah, uh, Poker is an emotional game and that is i talked to jungle man and jungle man talked about the emotions in the game and how people can study the theory they can study the decisions to make and then you get in the arena and your emotions take over and not spending the time to work on your emotions is a big mistake especially as a poker player and when i think about it i i i read this somewhere, heard this somewhere. Basically, we're, we're all born with emotions, right? We all have these emotions. Just because you have them doesn't mean you're good at managing them. Doesn't mean you're good at building your awareness on how to deal with the emotions when they come up. So specifically spending time managing your emotions, building your awareness is something that will have a profound effect on your poker career. And it's not the X's and O's studying of the game specifically. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's one of the reasons why I meditate daily. I just hit, I use the Calm app, C-A-L-M app on my phone to meditate. And I just hit number 372 days in a row, I think. Whoa. And yeah, I feel that meditation really has helped me out. I've, I've turned it into a, a, a good daily habit. Every morning when I wake up, drink a glass of water, sit down, meditate between five and 10 minutes, and then I proceed with my workday. That is a massive streak. I am going to say the least Buddha thing, the least mindfulness thing ever. So I had like a 110-day streak on Calm specifically. Mm-hmm. So happy. Every day. It was like, got to keep the streak going. Got to keep going. Can't screw it up. One day I did it, and it didn't give me credit. Oh. So my streak ended. And then I went for a week without meditating. Like of I, <laughs> it was like, just like the humanity of it, right? Like you're doing it for the benefit. The streak doesn't matter. Only matters to you. And then it broke. And I was so annoyed that the streak broke that I stopped doing it. Like it's a very ridiculous and embarrassing thing to admit, but I did do that. Yeah, I gotcha. I've done that before too in the past, but yeah, 372 now. Um, and you had said something just a little while ago, you use the term finger tilt. 
I think you had said, finger tilt. Now, I used to suffer from that a lot. Maybe I still do. And this is something that um, I, I didn't realize. Uh, in order to avoid finger tilt, I started to remove my hand from my mouse in situations where I could see tilt coming on. So for example, when I'm dealt pocket aces or pocket kings or queens and I three bet and they call, my hand comes off my mouse right away <laughs> to give me time to think about my decisions on the flop, the turn in the river. Same thing if I flop uh, if I flop a set, but there's three to the straight, seven, eight, nine board, and I flop a set of sevens, man, these things are looking good, but they are a bit dangerous. So I remove my hand from my mouse. And that's something I've just now started to tell my audience to do as well. What that's going to do, it's going to lessen the occurrences of finger tilt because you have to, before, you've got to kind of work on it. Before you allow your hand to return to your mouse, you've got to think about the situation. Think about the best way to approach it. Imagine what your opponent's range is, how well it connects with the board. If I'm going to C-bet here, how am I going to respond to his raise? What does a raise mean? If he calls and then the fourth straight card comes on the turn, how am I going to you know, approach that? You want to think about all that stuff before the hand goes back to the mouse. And I have found that I tilt and get angry so much less, especially when bad beats occur, when I flop that set, when my aces get cracked, because I'm spending more time throughout the hand and I'm making better decisions on each street, I feel a little bit more uh, confident and happy with my plate, even if I ended up losing. And that's super valuable information there. You're basically breaking the cycle. And finger tilt, for those of you that are not aware, is when you're at a decision point in the hand and your brain says, well... I guess we got to give this up. And your finger says, fuck you, brain, we're calling. And then it just makes a decision without, without the message getting from your brain all the way to your hand. Uh, and I see this, I, I saw this in live poker a ton too, where there's a major decision point and people act very quickly. And I, I wonder, like, just take your time. Why are you acting so fast? Like, nobody cares. Like, don't, don't tank just to tank. But if there's a decision that's going to make or break your night, which there are those decisions every single session that we play, the pots that could go one way or it could go the other way, take your time on those decision points because they matter. Really think through them. Don't just react or don't just act quickly and then find yourself later on going, why did I do that? This was so obvious in hindsight that I should have taken another action. Just give yourself that out. Give yourself the chance to take your time, take a breath, stay calm, and think through before really making a decision. Because it doesn't it doesn't cost anything, right? It's free. It's free to take your time. Yep, for sure. And you're spot on. If you ever have that feeling at the end, like, damn it, I should have folded. Why did I call? Or if you ever catch yourself in the moment saying, screw it, I call, then you click the button or you push the chips in. Either way, that is a hand that you need to take note of. So tag it if you're online, write down notes on it forever in, in your Evernote or however you take uh, hand notes with. And then you've got to study that off the felt. You've got to figure out why your brain didn't work right there. What was going through your mind? What happened in three hands prior to that? What happened at the beginning of that hand? Work your way through it. Figure out what is causing that finger tilt so you can hopefully lessen the, that occurrence from happening again in the future. That is amazing advice, Sky, and don't do like I did early in my career, and that is to just completely ignore those hands where you play like an idiot. Yes. <laughs> just <laughs> say, oh, I was an idiot here. Uh, um, moving on. It's embarrassing to even look at or analyze or review, right? Because everybody has these hands that they're embarrassed to look at in hindsight, and you can learn. Sometimes they're not super valuable. Sometimes you just know, okay, this was stupid. Uh, I don't need to break down why I did this because I did it and it's dumb. But 
the mechanism that led you to doing that, that's something that you can possibly work on, whether it's acting too fast, whether it's having more awareness that your emotions are at the wheel and have their foot on the gas, um, whatever it is, that's the area that you need to focus on. 100%. Tell me, you have a thing, right? You have many things that, that you create, content that you're pushing out there. What is a thing that you're working on right now that you're excited to tell folks about? Uh, well, I guess it's my quick wins poker course. It's something that's coming out on November 1st. And what it is, it's a, it's a poker course all about turning you from a losing micro stakes player to a winning player by focusing on these 10 most important critical aspects of uh, profitable poker. Have you asked your audience? (laughs) Have you pulled your audience on these 10 things this time? Nope, I haven't. So what I'm doing with this, well, okay. What I'm doing is Uh, Each of the modules, they're targeting things that my audience constantly asks me questions about and things that I see in my own one-on-one students, what they're getting wrong, what they're doing, you know, their biggest mistakes all the time. So these 10 different modules right here, uh, I know that people have issues with them. Now, what I'm doing is I also have a membership called the Poker Forge, a monthly membership where I give training um, strategy videos and and, uh, PDFs. Is that thepokerforge.com? Yeah, thepokerforge.com. So I have that. What I'm doing this month is everybody who is a Poker Forge member, they get the uh, uh, Quick Wins Poker Course absolutely for free. So while I am creating it, it's still giving content to my current subscribers. So they are going to get benefit from it. And it will always be within the membership. But for people outside who want to suddenly, not suddenly, who want to change from going a a losing microstakes to a winning player, this is going to be for them. So even if it doesn't succeed and I don't sell it, it's at least uh, really good strategy information for people in my membership. Providing value for the membership folks. Yeah. How much will it be outside of the membership? Uh, $197. So $197 or free if you mm-hmm. are a current member. Yep. I would say that's pretty good uh, value for, I think so for too. your current members. Yep, yep. And I will it always so. be there? I've been getting pretty good feedback on it as well. Will it always be there for them to access your members or will it just be a limited thing and then you take it off? Nope. It'll always be there for them. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so if people don't buy it, but if they sign up for the membership for it, uh, great. You know, I'm just happy either way. This begs the obvious question for me. <laughs> Why would anybody ever buy it if they um, could if just they get the membership? Want, yeah. If they don't want to pay a monthly fee and be a member, but if they see value in the course, so I'm going to have, the normal, you know, uh, promotional videos and stuff, if they think that this is going to be exactly what they want and what they need, but they don't want a monthly membership where they don't know what strategy videos and things are coming down the pike, but they only want this, then great, they can purchase it. But it's basically, I'm creating this in order to entice people. It's going to be like a membership bonus. This is $197 value that comes with becoming a member. Gotcha, gotcha. So yeah. it's a, it's effectively for the members it's a it's yes. value value for folks signing up to, to be a member of your thing which is yep. always good for the people mm-hmm. that give you money and trust you and believe in you yeah i always like to not really under promise but i like to over deliver you know i don't under promise anything i don't say oh you're going to go from a losing player to a break-even player no i'm going to tell them you're going to go from losing to positive you're going to become a winner through this course but I still want to over deliver. So I'm going to give them the best possible course. I think altogether it's like 38 videos right now, along with bonus 
like resources and stuff. So it's going to be a pretty hefty course. Any, any quizzes? How long are these videos? All the videos range anywhere from like seven minutes might be the shortest up to like 30 minutes, depending on the content within the video, whether it's like a game tape where I'm actually showing myself play utilizing the strategies or a hand history review or going through a database or like a slideshow presentation. There's all those different video formats and there are quizzes as well with it. Yes. Awesome. And And, Oh, go ahead. For the folks watching chasing or list watching, watching, chasing poker greatness while they're driving down the roads in their cars. Um, while they're for the folks that are listening, is there anything you can give them any value, uh, for specifically exclusively for the chasing poker greatness audience? Yes, that is a great question. Thanks for asking. I've created a special video all about asking and answering the right question at the right time. So if your listeners just go to smartpokerstudy.com slash chasing c-h-a-s-i-n-g of course they can spell that um smartpokerstudy.com slash chasing there's gonna video there's going to be a video right there called questions and answers before every button click and in the video i discuss the importance of asking and answering questions off the felt like i told you earlier to ingrain the habits of thinking through your decisions on the felt but i'm also going to give them the nine of my favorite questions three general questions, three pre-flop, three post-flop questions that really get you thinking about the situations that you're in. And I'm going to give everybody the ultimate question, the number one question that supersedes all other questions. But I... I'll tell you right now as well. No, no, don't. Just leave it like that. Just leave it there. Leave really? it there. Yeah, that's okay. fine. Well, we got to have a hook somewhere, even though I desperately, that's right. I desperately want to ask. I, I want to know the ultimate question. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to say too that for those of you, you know, for, for you listening chase, to Chasing Poker Greatness right now, if you can't spell chasing, I'm going to be <laughs> going to be releasing a supplementary podcast on spelling that you you may want to check out in the future. Perfect. Um, <laughs> hey, you're over delivering. <laughs> but smart, smartpokerstudy.com slash chasing. Go get the free video. There will be links in the show notes and plastered everywhere along with this video. Questions are the basis of winning at poker, asking the right questions at the right time. If you want to distill playing winning poker, that's what you need to do. So super, super high value there from Sky. All right. A couple more questions, my man. What's your current big goal as related to either playing cards or creating the content? Uh, right now, when it comes to playing cards, my big goal um, in, so I am not a professional player. I don't do this as a profession. I'm spending all my time creating content, whether it's for the membership, the YouTube channel, the podcast, all this stuff. Uh, It takes up so much of my time. I don't have enough time to play. Now, I force myself to play 30 minutes per day at a minimum. So just cash games, one or two tables, maybe up to four tables I'm playing online uh, at a time. But this is the worst year ever. Up until now, mid-October, I've only played 28,000 hands for the year. It's I've never played this this uh, small amount. So my next goal in November, I am going to assign myself a challenge to play more hands than I've played for the entire year so far. So in November and December. In November. Yeah. So I'm thinking that I probably won't hit 30,000 for the for the year up until November. So my goal is going to be to play 30,000 hands in November. So a thousand hands a day, which will require maybe two to three hours of play, 
I don't know if I'll get to it. I kind of doubt I will because I have so much going on right now, um, but I am going to try for it. So that's the big goal that I have as far as playing goes. No hedging, Sky. No hedging. You got to burn the boats. Yeah, I no, know. No outs. Right. You got to burn that. You're, you're hedging. You're, you're, you're saying, right. yep. this yep. is my we goal. landed Bye. on the shore. Yeah. Yep. Burn, burn the boats. There's no going back. No yep. going so back. So I'm going to be going for 30,000 hands in November. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in your Facebook group, uh, Smart Poker Study, and... I'll make a post. We'll, Sweet. I'll make, make a post. We'll hold you accountable. And okay. to the point to where... That's, just, that's a really good idea. I like that. Yeah, to the point to where you're going to tell yourself like, oh God, like I'm going to look like a jackass if I don't <laughs> if I don't complete this challenge. I have to because mm-hmm. um, I've put it out there. I've told people I'm being held accountable. You got to do it. So yeah. we'll we'll put the mechanism in place to get you there. For sure. Thanks. I appreciate that. I know that public accountability is a really good way to uh, uh, force you to do the work that you need to do. You know, when you put it out there to the world, the world expects you to accomplish. And you want to live up to your own self-image. Yep. Nobody wants to be known as somebody that says things and then doesn't follow through. So it's a natural thing that gets you motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, what's a project you're working on right now that's near and dear to your heart? Near and dear, like when you say that word near and dear to my heart, uh, it's it could, really raising my boys. Yeah, I got two boys ages 12 and 10, and I don't consider it a project. It's it's, oh, it's what I get to do. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah it, I mean, I don't think of it as a project, but it is a project, you know, trying to teach them just how to be good human beings, to grow up to be good human beings, responsible people, kind people. Um, so that's that's the thing that's most near and dear to my heart, you know, so I try to be there for them as much as possible. Uh, when they want to talk to me about anything, I'm there to listen, whether it's just video games, or it's just their friends or just whatever with school, I always try to be there. And actually, in a few hours from now, my son is he's been really working hard to become a better cross country runner. He's on the cross country t- team, a fourth grader, and he wants me to go. It's not even a, a, a competition, a race day. He just wants me to go today because they are doing time trials. Time trials might not be the right word. They're just running a one mile to see who's the fastest out of each of the grade groups, you know? And so he wants me to go to record for myself to see how fast he's become. His last one mile time was, nine minutes and something like his goal is to break nine minutes real soon. So I'm going to go there today um, just during a practice and sit there and time him. I can't think of a more worthy thing to spend your time on than that. And let's make it come full circle here and look at the cycle of your existence on this earth, the positivity from your mom and now investing into your kids to ensure that they end up the way that you have ended up and can have the mental toughness to go about life and look at failure in a positive and put a positive spin on it, find a positive in all the things. It's just they're, they're, what's more valuable than that, right? Mm-hmm. I agree with you 100%. That's the goal to raise kids like my parents raised because me and my brother, we're both uh, the cream of the crop. <laughs> we're as good as it gets. So I want my kids to be the same as us, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, uh, I don't even know how to what to comment now. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where to go go after that. Yeah, I don't. I've never actually thought that before, but I really do feel that my brother and I are really good, kind, decent people, very responsible, hard workers, and that's what I want for my kids as well. And and uh, like I said, my mom, but it's also my dad as well, and my two dads actually. 
my mom, they got divorced. So my dad, as well as my stepdad, like all three of them working together to raise two good kids. And so now my wife and I, we're working to raise two good ones too. And I would say there's an interesting tangent to go down. I'm not going to go down it because we only have one question left, but about why this positive self-talk can sometimes make other people uncomfortable or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, who's this guy? Who's this guy to say I'm the, he's the cream of the crop. Right. Mm -hmm. And I would say that sometimes it's a natural, natural inclination of folks to think that, but it's just, it's a better way to be than thinking you're the worst, right? You feel more capable, you feel more confident, you're more self-assured. There's, I don't, I don't sense any arrogance there. It's just self-assurance and confidence, which who doesn't want their kids to be self-assured and confident? Who doesn't want their friends? Who doesn't want their loved ones, the people that they coach, the community, the people they spend time with to be more self-assured and confident? That that's just benefits the whole, whole world. Absolutely. I agree. So final, final question here. Let's fast forward from today to 15 years in the future. What does your wall of poker accomplishments look like? That's a good question. Uh, I, I play a lot of cash games, but I do love tournaments. And I have gone to the WSOP for the past six of the last seven years. And so I do want to attain a bracelet at some point in a No Limit Hold'em event. So that would be one of my accomplishments. Another one would be to over the past, well, from now for the next 15 years to still support my family and to still make an income, you know, with smart poker study. Uh, that That's another accomplishment right there. I don't have any like, I don't know, any, any crazy big, I want to be considered the number one coach of all time. N- nothing like that. As long as I'm supporting my family and my audience is enjoying what I'm putting out there and they're gaining value from it. That's really, that's what matters to me. So I guess those are the two poker accomplishments right there. I can't really think, oh, you know what I would like to do is um, at some point actually hold like live training seminars, wherever that might be, whatever that could look like. I have no idea, but that's something I want to do someday. Actually speaking in front of people where I can go physically shake their hands and answer their questions in person and help them with their strategies in person. So that might be number three. What's stopping you? Oh, nothing. I just, I haven't thought about, I don't know, a way to actually do that. Like it would, it would, so, you know, I'm a, we, we talked about it before the, the recording. I'm just a one man band. I do everything on my own. So if I want to run like a, a personal event like that, it could be something totally simple, like let's just get together at Starbucks for coffee at the WSOP. But that's not really what I'm thinking here. I'm thinking more like I have an event set up in a space where people come to me and I, I teach something specific to them. And now right. that would entail planning it, renting the space, communicating it, selling tickets. I mean, there's so much that goes into it. It's not something I could just jump into and, hey, tomorrow I'm going to have a live event in Vegas. Actually, I could, you know, that's a good question. What's stopping you? Like one of the questions I always liked, and I learned this from Tim Ferriss, if this were easier, what would it look like? So I am a one-man band. If I wanted to do this next year at the WSOP, what would it look like? What would I need to do? And actually, now that I think about it, it'd be really easy to rent one simple little presentation space, one room at the Rio or across the street at the Gold Coast and, and just advertise to my audience, I'm going to be there this day. 
That's a good question. Thank you for that question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can actually do that. There's nothing stopping me. It's just my own mind. And maybe like kind of like a, like we talked about earlier, an imposter syndrome. Like, who am I to now speak in front of you and charge you tickets to come see this thing? Like, who am I to do that? I'm not a comedian. I'm not a professional speaker. You I know what I mean? Sometimes you get in too far into the forest to see the trees. Yes. Things can seem way more daunting than they actually are. So that getting an outside perspective sometimes can reframe how you're thinking of it. And mm-hmm. I'll say too, you're a one-man band, right? Well, why not a summit? Why not folks that are good at this sort of thing? Why not have four or five people that all teach a certain thing and then you go through the process and you learn and you collaborate? And, and I, I think there's just so many options where you know if you have a will, there is a way. And uh, Tim Ferriss, he's a smart guy, by the yeah. way. He's, he's a very smart guy. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so... Wrapping this up, where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the World Wide Web? Uh, definitely Smart Poker Study, whether it's YouTube or it is uh, Twitter and SmartPokerStudy.com. And then, of course, SmartPokerStudy.com slash Chasing for that great question and answer video uh, so they can learn a little something from that. And that's it. SmartPokerStudy.com everywhere. And the Poker Forge. Don't forget about oh, the Poker Forge as well. Yeah, but they can find that as well through Smart Poker Study. Yeah, thank you, though. And all of these links will be in the show notes. So you guys can just click through, get your free stuff, and check out Sky Matsuhashi's awesome things. Thank you so much for joining me. It was a, a real pleasure. And can't wait to have you back on in a year or so to talk about how amazing your live seminar went in Vegas. I would love to do that, Brad. And thank you very much for asking me that question. Because like you were saying earlier, questions really spark your thoughts and, uh, you know, take you to the right answers for strategies and stuff. Your question is really, that simple question prompted me to now think about it. And I'm really, really considering it. So I will let you know. And I would love to, actually, I would love to have you on my podcast as well. So there's an open invite for you on mine. And if there's any way that I can help make that happen in any way, as far as getting you set up for the webinar, or the seminar, just let me know and I'll, I'll do whatever I can to help. Awesome. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate it. And I appreciate this uh, opportunity to be on the Chasing Greatness podcast. <laughs> chasing poker, not just regular chasing greatness. Chasing poker greatness, yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Take care. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you haven't yet subscribed to the show, please take a moment to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. And once again, I wanted to let you know about PKC Poker. If you're on the lookout for a new poker platform where the games are safe and secure and the action's amazing, head to EnhanceYourEdge.com slash Pod to get your code and jump into the games. You must have a code to play as well as be 21 years of age or older. One final time, that's EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time on Chasing Poker Greatness.